Please pray with me before we begin. Lord God, we ask that you speak to us now from your word. And as you do, we ask that you shape us and draw us closer to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name, to your glory. Amen. I once heard uh, a preacher say something that made me raise an eyebrow. It happens every so often. Um, if I recall correctly, he was said something along the lines of, if you are a Christian, you should be living on the biggest house on your block. Clearly connecting the idea to, of faithfulness to material blessing. Uh, that didn't sit right with me, and I shared a, the concern with a friend of mine who answered sarcastically and said, right, just like Jesus. And a lot of us can laugh at such a claim because when you look at the words of Jesus, we find a Savior whose words are quite far from such a notion. He doesn't preach the biggest house on the block. Instead, he says in essence, come to me and die if you really want to live. And it's easy to look at a claim like that like the biggest house on the block, and distance myself from it because I wasn't taught that. I had good mentors and pastors that taught me otherwise. But nonetheless, I was recently convicted, as someone pointed out, a much more insidious attitude that stems from a similar way of thinking. A writer was reflecting on the ministry of the Apostle Paul and what he had gone through and wrote something along the lines of, why then do we get disappointed with God when things don't go our way? I may have never believed Jesus was going to give me the biggest house on the block, but it doesn't mean I don't get frustrated with him when things don't go my way. Or when I'm disappointed with how things turn out. Admittedly, I encourage people to communicate their disappointment to God, as we see in the Psalms. But it's one thing to take to God our disappointments, and it's another thing to treat God as if we should never be disappointed, as if he should never let us be disappointed, as if faithfulness ensures that we never go through any difficulty. That's not the life of faith that Jesus preached, the one who said that in this world you will have many troubles. It's one of his less popular promises. And if there's a follower of Jesus who shows us that in Scripture, it's the Apostle Paul. Paul was apostle and missionary to the Gentiles, and he saw a lot of trouble, a lot of disappointment, and a lot of hardship. But for Paul, his hardship was wrapped up in his faith walk. And how he viewed and handled his hardship is greatly instructive for how we can view ours. We're continuing our series that we're calling with eternity in mind, where we're looking at passages that challenge us on what's of ultimate importance in our lives. And we've looked at passages where Jesus has challenged us to use all we are and have for his kingdom. Now, last week, we heard from 
Paul, as he challenged us on how we view and manage wealth. And today we're listening to Paul again as he talks about how God's power manifests in his life. And Paul's words find us in the second letter of Corinthians. And Paul was foundational to the forming of the church in Corinth. And he wrote to them several times. We have two of those letters. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And they're not consecutive. So as you read the letters, you have to fill in some blanks from other sources about Paul, from some of his other letters sometimes. And while 1 Corinthians deals more with internal problems of the church and inquiries they set they sent to Paul. Second Corinthians, in this letter, Paul is more defending his message and his authority as an apostle against some teachers who had visited the church in Corinth, disparaging Paul, insulting him, claiming him inferior in various ways. They apparently said things to the extent of Paul talking a big game and being very bold in his letters, but when he shows up, he's weak. And he's not a very good speaker. Paul, interestingly enough, doesn't respond in a way that puffs himself up. Paul speaks of himself in a way that's instead instructive for us. And he begins with imagery that calls to mind his weakness in this passage. First, we'll look at what Paul has to say about him and his journey, and then we'll look at what it means for us. Verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And the treasure he's referring to, he calls the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. As he states it in verse 6, knowledge of God through Christ. The way he puts it, the God who created light gave us the light of the knowledge of his glory. That's the treasure he says is carried around in jars of clay. He uses imagery that calls to mind the feebleness of human vessels carrying around the glory of God. Carrying around this treasure. Instead of appealing to his own ability, to his own skill, To his own authority, Paul continually refers to his weakness and his troubles, his vulnerability in various situations, and he does it throughout the letter. And Paul has suffered a lot. He names a few things here when he says that him and his companions are hard-pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Paul's call as an apostle to the Gentiles, has led him to a lot of hardship. But God delivered him from them. And it's that faithfulness that he experienced from God that gives him the hope that that he has in the midst of difficult circumstances. He refers to carrying around Jesus' death and always being given over to death. Referring to dying to himself and also to Fellowship with Christ through his sufferings. But he says it's also so that he may also know the life of Jesus. Both in his deliverance, but also in the new life that the Corinthians have experienced from his ministry. As he perseveres. 
And so Paul then states the foundation on which he places the hope through which he perseveres. And he says in verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. He is confident that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise him and the Corinthians as well. And he then drives the point home saying, that's why we don't lose heart. It's the second time in this chapter he uses that term, don't, we don't lose heart, because he says, our temporary troubles are achieving an eternal glory that surpasses them. Ending by saying, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's hardships are pretty extraordinary. Back in the first chapter, he recounts being in a scenario where he and his companions despaired of life itself before they were delivered by God. Elsewhere, he tells his audience more about what he's been through in detail, and it reads like a grocery list of misery. He's been beaten, flogged several times, almost killed on a couple occasions, and that's the short list. So what are we supposed to do with that? What do we do with Paul's words? What do they mean for us? Particularly if we're not called to the same hardships. A few things. Paul's experience shows us that we can encounter God's power through our hardship. Now this could be circumstantial hardship or it could be the hardship that comes from serving God faithfully. Paul experienced both. Now understand, this is not to, meant to minimize suffering. And it's well worth cautioning ourselves against giving people oversimplistic or over-spiritualized answers when they are suffering. I'm not telling you to simply throw a verse at someone who's in pain. But as we examine ourselves... It's worth us asking the question of how we view our hardship, our difficulties, and our sufferings. This was a particularly poignant message for Christians in a place like Corinth. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city where status was very important. And there was an emphasis on personal rights in a culture where honor on a social level could make or break who you are. Does that sound like any place you know? It does to me. We live in a culture where we're very big on our rights, on what's owed to us. Often doing so, so that we can climb the social ladder. We're very big on what we think we deserve and people will go to great lengths, either to self-preserve or to avoid hardship, even if it's at the expense of others. Paul shows us another way. 
Instead, he participates in the death and life of Jesus through his sufferings, not in spite of them. And he does it for the sake of the Corinthians, who are the recipients of his ministry. Paul's experience testifies that God's power can show in our hardship in several ways. First, if we come across hardship, God can deliver us, as he did with Paul. We Christians are not supposed to view trouble and hardship the same way other people do. Our trouble and our hardships are opportunities for God to show up that much more. Who doesn't want to see a miracle? I know I do. Here's the problem with miracles. They usually happen where there's a problem. God rescues when there is peril. God heals where there is brokenness. God provides where there is need. As difficult as hardships might be, those are the situations where God's power shows up that much more. And so we don't despair in trouble. We trust in the one who has the power to deliver us. Further, as we persevere, his power can show through us. Now, it doesn't take long to figure out that some problems we don't get rescued from. Some hardships we don't get removed from. Even Paul testifies to that, particularly later in, his, in this same letter. But his perseverance manifests God's power to the benefit of the Corinthian church, resulting in more and more people encountering God's grace, causing thanksgiving to overflow to God, he says. Paul showed that he was the real deal apostle, not because the journey was easy, but because he persevered. And if you've ever, if you've ever been around a believer that's persevered in spite of hardship, and there are more than a few in this church, But if you've been around them, you know there's often a weight to what they say about God that hits in a special way. Because what they know about God is not simple theory. It's been field tested through hardship. It's gone through the testing of hardship and been shaped in a way that can't be done simply by reading books as important as reading books are. I see it in my mother. You've heard me talk about her before, but she's walked with Jesus to the gates of death and back several times. She's done laps. And because of that, she can preach to just about anybody, usually while she's cooking for them. Because what she knows about Jesus is not just theory. She's lived it. She's walked it. God's power shows more and more as we persevere. So as we rely on his power, we do not lose heart. But this isn't simply 
about how we handle circumstances out of our control. A lot of Paul's problems come from his faithfulness. Following Jesus, it doesn't leave room for us to exploit the things that are to our advantage or that we do have. On the contrary, we serve a Savior who said, if you want to be great, you have to be the servant of all. You may not be called to be persecuted like Paul, although you may. Some of our sisters and brothers around the world can relate to Paul's words a lot more directly than we can. But regardless, to consider Paul is to recognize that his following Jesus led to sacrificial service for the benefit of others. And so whatever we are called to, Paul serves as an example of sacrificial faithfulness. And this is why, in contrast to the so-called apostles that appeal to their own skill and status, Paul comes to the Corinthian church through many troubles for their benefit, owning his own weaknesses rather than exploiting his authority as an apostle so that more and more people can know God's grace. These are not easy or normal things for most people. So on what basis do we place our confidence as we face our hardships and as we love sacrificially at our own expense? We place it on the God we serve. The God who gave us the treasure of knowing him through Christ. The God who raised Jesus from the dead and who will raise us as well. Because of that reality, our hope outweighs our hardship. The hope that comes from that reality is where our focus lies. And it's well beyond our troubles. And this not only helps us persevere, but our momentary troubles are achieving for us, Paul says, an eternal glory that outweighs them. It's not wishful thinking. It's trusting in a longer, lasting, and superior reality of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Which is why he says in verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. If you're navigating in the wilderness, if you're trying to get from point A to point B, you need a fixed point of reference. Otherwise, you're going to get lost. Or you will walk in circles. You need a fixed point. You need something like a mountaintop to look at as you move in one direction. Nobody navigates by looking at the clouds because they're temporary. They're just passing through. They look at something that is fixed. Our fixed point of focus in our spiritual journeys is God's eternal reality. And so we don't let the temporary realities distract us from the permanent one. There's a saying I've heard multiple versions of in independent contexts because it's true. And that is, you can't outgive God. 
Whatever we feel at a loss for in our hardship, or whatever we give up to serve God, whether it's through unforeseen circumstances or whether it's through our faithfulness, they will be outweighed by his eternal glory. The Christian life is not easy. But Paul testifies over and over again to its worth and value. He recognizes that nothing we give up in service to God will outdo what God does and will do for us. That's the reality to which we fix our eyes in the hope that one day when we will be able to see what is for now unseen. Let's continue worshiping.